episode 36 of high fantasy members of the broken jars network and today we have colin fillin hi tyler how's it going pretty good i guess uh, have you been productive since last time you appeared with high fantasy yeah <laughs> which was like a uh, year ago. yeah i hope so it's been a while um let's see i talked sometime in november october november time frame so yeah i've written ninety thousand words that's impressive yeah that is here that is that is impressive yeah <laughs> I had a lot of time, so I think you guys actually write about ninety thousand words a year. It's just that you end up erasing a lot of it. And Maybe no, that's I'm being generous. <laughs> I'm bad. I'm yeah. bad about it. I might write that much in my world building notes. I don't know. I don't track those. Well, that's all part of it too, though. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, have you been productive? I actually have been. I'm excited. I have. I seem to be out of this rut. I've uh, been in. I've done them like. 4,500 words, which isn't huge in two weeks, but it's a whole lot better than I was doing. And I'm actually like making progress, going down the line, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So very excited. AL's coming along. We're gonna, I mean, we're probably like 20,000 words away, maybe, if that, from the end, the end, quote unquote, <laughs> before subsequent rewrites, redos, mass deletions, mass redoings, you know, but at least it'll be done. It'll, um, you know, it'll be out there on paper. So, and I found this new um, editor I really like. It's just, it's actually for Markdown, which is if you're familiar with Reddit, that's how they do all their stuff is with Markdown. And I really enjoy that. It's been great. You have uh, a programming thing that you use to write. Well, well, Markdown is a type of is a formatting language. Uh, a lot of people use it. I really like it. Uh, it's clean. It's simple. It's pretty distraction-free. It works on you know every web browser, so I don't have to fight like with Google or anything about it. So that's been really helpful. Hmm. All right. I have not written things. I have decided to start actually trying to draw, so I can do the urban fantasy story as I want to. That is better and worse than I expected. <laughs> it turns out I can draw bodies okay. I cannot draw faces very well at all anymore. I used to be able to, so that's going to be uncomfortable to get goodish at again. And since it's been a decent amount of time, I looked back at the plot and just decided to change a few things. And those changes have been really good. I'm pretty happy with that part. We're a thing. <laughs> so, in, is... your, in your not Dresden story, how like have you changed things to be more or less Dresden? A little bit less. Although I might be changing the name of the cat to make it more Dresden-y. Because at the moment, his name is Ash, which I'm because I'm meh about. Because I really want to name a monster, but that's really, really close to Mr. Should I call him like Godzilla or something? So it's in the monster. Like pick a monster name or kaiju. Kaiju would be topically relevant. Or it not would topically, not, but uh, relevant to our time. It wouldn't fit my character to name him that. But it would fit her to name him monster in like a weird satirical way. And, it, and because he's kind of like Mr., he's gigantic. It's it kind of it's the same sentiment of I have a monster under my bed and it's mouse. I have a monster on my face and it's my cat. And I really like that thing. And I'm just like I get really conflicted about it because it gets really close to Dresden at that point. <laughs> well, just it's only. I mean, if that's going to be close to Dresden, I don't think that's a, a bad thing. If I think if your plot's too close to Dresden, that's when it becomes bad. Yeah, all the things. Good. 
I, I don't think the plot's too close to Dresden. I don't have any like overarching outer gates outsiders gonna eat the world type thing yet. Uh, and if I avoid that, I think I'll be okay if I basically avoid Lovecraft. And I'm trying to find justifications to make the world building about as familiar as Dresden is with different routes of getting there. Like fairies, fairies are still gonna be there. They're still gonna have the similar restraints. Right, so you're- Because those are real world restraints. Mm-hmm. But I'm just trying to make different laws to get there. Right, it's the mythos. You you want to hold the fairy, the majority of the fairy mythos. Maybe you look at it because I mean, doesn't uh, Butcher he pulls a lot from like Norse and Irish, right? Yeah. Yes. So maybe if you could find some like different fairy tales about like maybe look at like Arabic or some other fairy tales that made deal with fairies and see how their rules, and maybe that's a way to do it. I haven't directly involved fairies yet. But I have started talking about debts, and that's the structure that's mm. very similar. Okay. Well, that makes sense. But it's like I, I have a pretty a couple of decent laws that like as the root of the world building, and I'm really happy with those. And so it's just like if I make debts seem normal and not Dresden related, <laughs> I think I'll be okay. <laughs> well, debts are very common in general. I mean, in most fairy tales, you know, everything comes with a price, etc. You know. There, I mean, hell, I mean, that was one of the big things and spoiler alert in the new Avengers movie was everything came with a price. So, um, you know, that's pretty ubiquitous. I would hard, it, most people, unless they knew you would have a hard time going, yeah, that's, she's ripping off dress in here. I, I think you, they would, you could pull that off. Pretty easy. Urban fantasy in Chicago is not very popular. <laughs> so when you have a, a data point of two. Well, change the city. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, it has to be in I it. I have had this argument with myself way too much. But <laughs> it, like, roll the dice and use, like, a medium-sized city, like... No. Phoenix. There's so Phoenix many good cities city. that are closer to other things where you can, you know, draw inspiration from them. I need it to be really, like, a large city, a multi-million population large city that gets cold. So it's pretty much Chicago or New York. Chicago has a benefit if I've actually been there. I'm slightly familiar with it. I don't know oh, a fucking thing a- about New York, and it's confusing. There's Minneapolis, which is a big city, multi-millions, it gets cold. Yes. Seattle gets cold. Denver, um, Portland gets cold. Uh, Portland's has, on the like, small side. of like one million, way too small. Yeah, Portland's small. It's probably too small. Portland is smaller. Yeah, that but Seattle be and Minneapolis and Denver could all fit in there. <clears throat> you might be able to do Omaha. I don't know how big Omaha no. is. Omaha's not a big, no. I mean, it's the bigger city that's in that state, but that state doesn't have a huge population. It's the only right. city of that <laughs> hey, yeah. There's almost cities. There's almost cities that exist there. So. The towns. I, yeah, I I've mean, never a been... town with 700,000 people is a pretty big town, but oh, it's pretty by big. city standards, yeah, I would agree. It's a small city. Yeah, yeah. It's... Minneapolis, though, would be great because then you have the border to Canada. You have a little bit more trees and stuff because Chicago is surrounded by suburbs. There's no forest. There's no yeah. kind of that mysterious air that you could play around with if you want to. Like Minneapolis, you can drive five minutes any any direction outside the city, and it's hills and forest and dense and misty and all sorts of stuff. But it's also city also thing. a huge city. Like that's what I'm right. saying. You're based in the city, but you're surrounded by all these other things where creatures could hide or monsters could hide. Yeah, or Minneapolis, St. Paul, so way more when... than Chicago, where it's like they're hiding in plain sight. Like they could right. literally just not be in plain sight they could just be coming into the city to do some stuff and then leaving yeah, that's like Minneapolis is a huge uh, place that people fly in and out of not like oh yeah 
It's big it's not, time. It's not quite like Chicago, but Minneapolis mm-hmm. has a ton of traffic. Yeah, it's 3.3 so. 3 million between the Twin Cities. So it's pretty pretty big city. Yeah. And plus no one, I mean, that's part of like the fun thing about doing it in a city like Minneapolis. We all know New York. We all kind of know Chicago. No one knows fuck all about St. Paul. <laughs> you know, so it's the city itself is a mystery, which like we talked about last time, that may or may not be a good thing. I think it's it more thing, fun. I, I think one of the things is like I would basically only choose like LA, Chicago, or New York, but I dislike LA and New York for lots of reasons, so I end up going with Chicago. Um, because I want like the really urban thing to see. Like we were saying, like for urban fantasies, it's really helpful to have tons of people all in one spot if you're trying to stretch plausibility. And I think you would get that in a lot of cities because the urban environments, I mean, Kansas City has a very, very similar feel to it as chicago if you're downtown they both yeah. had mob involvement they both are heavily driven by money they're both old oh, there's money. mob in kansas city yeah. oh big kansas time. city mob oh, okay. kansas, it started in kansas city and went to chicago because of the railroads because you have all the trade going through kansas mm-hmm. city and then you had the prohibition where they got huge uh kansas city is actually where a lot of mob started before it went to chicago and became big in chicago chicago right. it didn't start picking up until after the great depression seattle is hugely like urban if you wanted to go pacific northwest <laughs> like there's all sorts of urban stuff in Seattle. And I could give you help with that one because I've been there several times. And if you want to do more mob involvement stuff, Kansas City has all sorts of cool stuff too. And they have lots of Indian ties. I'm taking yeah. this is where you're from, Tyler. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I am from Kansas, Kansas City. Uh, that's one of my all-time favorite cities. Weirdly. Best barbecue ever. It is real good. Mm-hmm. Back when I was curling, there was always a bonch spiel in Kansas City and they smoked all their meat and stuff it was the barbecue bonds feel so fun it's so good smoked meats are the best way to do it can i always put it in pittsburgh it's <laughs> <laughs> <is> true <laughs> i mean it long story story it doesn't really matter if it's in chicago or not because the setting is not where people are going to say well this right. feels really familiar except for maybe the first 20 pages how you play off your character what they do and how you develop the plot and the backstory behind whatever system now if you wanted something that's just recognizable you could always go with washington dc it's cold very urban center of power so powerful beings would be you know drawn there it would make sense especially when you political like underground of like Mm -hmm. a magic system that's tied in and rooted to all of the normal politics as well lots of options there i don't think i am willing to take on the headache of researching washington (laughs) dc dc also is i don't think of dc as being a huge like mega skyscraper city either it doesn't have that real urban feel i mean i agree dc is definitely very urban right it doesn't have the skyscrapers but there it means lots of walking lots of people who live in the city who walk everywhere you know yeah and yeah you definitely get that downtown feel when you're in dc Mm -hmm. actually there's options i think long story short there's options (laughs) none of them i like more than chicago (laughs) i'm gonna be there in like a week and a half it's gonna be nice dc or chicago dc DC. Mm-hmm. Oh, you should let me know when you're there. I could head up there. It's just an hour and a half drive or three hour drive. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll t- we'll talk afterwards. Anyway. Yeah. So, what's uh, the topic? yes, the topic. <laughs> We've been going for 15 minutes now. <laughs> That's pretty good. Okay. The topic was perspective and how or why or whatever we might do anything <laughs> with choosing the perspective of how to tell a scene or a story or series. I- insert word here. Perspective. <laughs> What I've been doing a lot of recently is the third-person present perspective. 
that's because we that's what we decided to do Andromeda's Love in. And that's really weird. Um, you know, it's I real perspective. <laughs> I like it and dislike it all at the same time. Like transitioning back and forth is difficult, but once like two or three pages in go in either direction, I tend to be okay with it, but it is confusing. And especially because it's not the way I normally write, like I have to go back and change tenses all the time. <laughs> like, is this the right verb? And so I have to go back. And so that that's, but I do like the action-y feel of it. Like it's much more gripping, I think, than past tense. Present tense is usually reserved for, you know, thriller novels. If you want to pre like a book that's written that where the entire length of the book takes place in story time over the course of maybe like 18 hours, like if 24 was to be written into a book, that would all be in present tense because it does right. give you more of a sense of urgency and thrill and you can kind of develop the mindset of now and then and everything as it progresses. Whereas, you know, past tense by definition is about telling a story. And while you can build and structure things to sound intense, that's present tense just naturally captures that. And you can get to the person's head a little bit more. Right. And it also helps for more natural breaks in like flashbacks because the tense changes. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're talking about something that happened, you talk past tense and then now is now. And so that, that, that is one thing I do really enjoy about it is it does make that distinction a lot clearer because you can see it. You don't have to remember, oh, when is it? You're like, oh, well, past tense. Like, you just naturally figure it out as a reader. Well, I mean, we can almost make the topic just about tense, like the choice of tense and the choice of perspective, because both of those are how you outline how you want to write. You can right. be a writer. plan things on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we came up with this at least 30 seconds before we hit start record. So Yeah, that's that's strict plan for us. <laughs> Right, and right, because then you have, and then you got to go into like, you know, is it third person omniscient or third person limited, uh, which is difficult to do. Um, Wait, why I, is limited difficult for you? I write almost exclusively limited, so I would say it's not difficult to do. When I do third person, I default omniscient. That is weird. That's like very old school way of writing. I guess. I mean, I don't know, but that's that's just how I do it. So that's it's just difficult for me to get into that limited, like especially when I'm um, trying to figure out exactly what to put and what to hide and what to keep, you know, what what to show and what to hide from the reader with the different perspectives. It's just the back and forth can be difficult for me. I think the only thing I've read of yours from start to finish was the blurb of Coralex without jumping around too much. And yeah. Coralex was written in third person limited so yeah and i and i thought that was really good so <laughs> uh i'd be interested to read some of your um, your third person omniscient though because omniscient there's a i mean with all the different perspectives whether it be first person third person uh, limited third person omniscient even within that you can split it up even further with how you want to write because mm -hmm. you have a very narrow omniscient that will jump in where it's kind of like looming over an area like where the people are like you're in the room somewhere and you'll call out things that they didn't see there's mm -hmm. narrative there's narrative omniscient to where you allude to things that will happen or could happen that they maybe didn't quite catch. And then you obviously have just a third person omniscient where you can just state whatever you want. Right. Kind of like how Lord of the Rings was written. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I kind of feel that uh, Harry Potter definitely went more towards that third person omniscient because there's a lot of, oh, this is just why things are explain <clears throat> and keep going kind of thing. Yeah, where they almost address the audience almost directly with explaining right. something because it's like no character is currently focused on this. You just decided that it was important at the time. And that's kind of the direction of omniscient versus 
limited is mm-hmm. where the where the focus is because you shouldn't be if you're doing third uh, third person limited you shouldn't be focused on anything besides what the characters would reasonably pick up on even if it's in a glancing motion over they're just getting a quick survey of the screen or the scene mm-hmm. then you know two sentences are to say you know this was here this was there it was dark the room felt like this and you move on to whatever's going on. Like those are things that people would notice, even if they're not consciously paying attention, that is still from their perspective. Whereas third person omniscient, you could take a lot more time. You can do that in limited too, but it feels a little bit more forced and limited if you spend too much time describing scenery. But yeah, it's sort of always the back and forth is how much do I describe and how much do, does the audience find out their interaction? And that's <laughs> one of the things I always have issues with so i tend to under describe <laughs> so that i've just been working really hard on my descriptions for the last like three months well des- descriptions kind of fall into two different trains of thought at least when i'm writing it's that you know you have the show don't tell because there are certain things you just have to tell people like you you need to tell them but then you can also show if you talk about someone so if you just state that a person is short or you state that the person has to stand up on their tippy toes to reach into the lower cabinet over the cat or over the table or whatever or wherever it is then you show that they're short and that they're struggling like height is something they're consciously aware of so easy example of that where see it's the non-physical that's easier to tell like if you're describing a room Mm -hmm. you know that tends to be more telly than like actions and people tend to be more showy because we don't interact with our environment as a whole right (laughs) that makes sense you have to tell people about what we we just see it and we understand it for the most part Absolutely. And if you want to use a flashback here and there to kind of pepper the mm-hmm. show don't tell where you relate it to why the character would notice a certain detail, just with mm-hmm. a little, because how someone observes their world, even if they just stay quiet the entire time, there's plenty of great silent characters that are written and you could, they're very characterized by how they observe their world around them and what it makes them feel or think or interact, even if it's a very passive interaction. So other things you can do with that too. If you find yourself telling too much, just find a way that it interacts with your character. Find a way to tell the audience about something through how your character perceives it. I forgot what the second thing I was going to say. <laughs> dealt with that. Yeah. If you start, if you start, uh, uh, describing a room too much show, show verse tells, I think the more important thing, especially with third person limited, because again, it's kind of like the Chekhov's gun is that the right term yeah, right? Or if, you're, if you're describing something too much then it should have some level of importance oh yeah pacing when you have when uh that was the other thing something that limits how much description you put into a scene is based off of the pacing because if you want to slow things down you can always spend more time elaborating and describing things whereas right. no one is going to pay attention to how the room looks if you are diving through the room because someone is shooting at you in the other room right you, right. you may land and crash into some furniture and it's like that's going to be Oh, well, hey, there's furniture. I found it with my shoulder. That's <laughs> something you're going to pay attention to passively. It's something you're going to find out is true because that's the last thing in your concern. So pacing is a great, or uh, description is a great way to control pacing, and you can really ruin or set pacing based off your little description. Both good things for third-person limited. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> for, I mean, also, any limited perspective would be able to it have this effect. Uh, I'm fairly certain... Um, Terry Pratchett could have broken all of the rules we've just described and still made it work because he would have just paused the whole fight in order to describe something really small in extreme detail and then made it funny. But the way the prose would be set up for a scene like that and how he does a delivery would probably make it work in some way. I mean, what's the overall underlying or what's the overarching theme of every episode? If you can 
do it well, then it doesn't matter. There Break are all the rules. Yeah, there's no rules to do it well. well right. <laughs> yep. So, but good rules if you're, you know, starting to write or if you write consistently to keep track of is, am I ruining the pacing of the scene? Does the scene flow like I wanted it to based off the descriptions I'm using? So, and dialogue is, you know, dialogue you can pepper in descriptions too. A great way to make dialogue flow better is not just to have two people standing at attention, just speaking like robots back and forth to each other, but to pepper it with other things that are going on. Because when people are talking with each other, as I can see both of you on camera, looking away at other things, probably thinking of other things, that's mm -hmm. what happens during normal conversations too. And those are things that you can write about your characters is, you know, if you don't they just have a dialogue. Monologue. Yeah. Internal monologue to help explain the external dialogue. Mm -hmm. And this is originally what I wanted to talk about, but yeah, because with perspective, I was I wanted to talk about dialogue, but uh, I mean, it's writing. You can talk about it. It's all yeah. related, right? Tangential. We ramble. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So we don't edit on this podcast. <laughs> no one has time for that. No one edits. First try every time. Unless you lose it, and then you have to... And then we lose the numbers, and we get stuck. And, and but that would never happen. <laughs> it only happened once. So far. So far. Single data point. It exists. <laughs> so, uh, have either of you ever tried writing in first person? Mm -hmm. how, did it, how did it go? For some reason, I don't have issues with first person or third person limited. Those are the only things I ever do. I always do past tense. I don't try to like move away from that, because I don't want that to be the thing that draws attention most of the time. Um, once in a while with first person, I can have fun drawing attention to it, much like you will find in the Dresden files. Um, but a lot of times it's just kind of more structural than trying something to bring attention to. Do you ever address the audience when you wrote in first person, like a narrative first person, like where you'd say like, well, comma, and then I went and did this, don't know what I was thinking, where, they're where they have their own they're basically commentating on their own story where they're yeah, almost addressing an invisible audience. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, sometimes I did have fun with that, but I would it, use it sparingly. It's, it's the best like, way to do comedy in first person, in my opinion. I can't write comedy unless it's in first person and doing stuff like that. I used to only write first person, and but I, I had a lot of struggles, and this was early, early on in my writing, so I might be able to go back to it at some point, but I haven't had a chance to do it in a couple of years, really. I wrote a little short story in first person recently, and I remembered why I loved it so much and also why I stopped doing it. <laughs> but uh, it, it feels really samey to me to write that way. Uh, it's harder to develop scenes, I feel, when you're doing first person, just because it's, I don't know, maybe that's just that's probably just my problem. I definitely read first person uh, narratives where those scenes were very well done. I can't do it. I spend too much time with internal monologue. I get into the character's head and stick there for way too long whenever I'm in first person. Whereas third person, I seem to be way more conscious of the flow and the pacing of the whatever por portion I'm writing at the time. I do think there's like a, a spectrum of how much are you, I hate to overuse this phrase, but bringing attention to the fact it's first person. Because sometimes the, like, the prose of a first person story can be very similar to third person limited. Mm -hmm. with, if the person's just kind of watching something else happening, then there's no reason to like, I think this happened or I saw this happen or something like that. It's like, you're describing it. We know they're seeing it happen. So there can be some, uh, almost like your perspective changing as you're writing it. It'll help you like slide on that spectrum, however you want it to do. Yeah. And there's definitely a spectrum. I mean, with limited perspective, there's also kind of a spectrum too, with how much you 
choose to go, I mean, like I said, there's definitely ways to break up each of the perspectives and go as detailed as you want in whichever direction you want, because all of them are just kind of a baseline for what type of book you're going to write. So it's like, I'm going to write a, a high fantasy, third person, multi-perspective, limited perspective. You're like, okay, then I can instantly categorize what I would kind of expect from those types of genres. Yeah, I do seem to switch uh, which perspective I want to write in based on genre of the story. <laughs> and it never, I, half the time I don't even notice I've made that decision, but I never have an issue with it. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the one first person story I really want to write, and I tend to go first person when I'm trying to be a bit more meta with my, uh, with my decisions, is one where the main character is actually the bad guy. Yeah, because but, you're hiding that info, I assume? Right, but the thing is, is as the reader, you're supposed to be able to figure it out by the end that he's actually the bad guy. And so when he dies or gets captured or whatever, it's actually a good thing. But he's probably sympathetic to some point because everyone's been inside his head for the entire book. Exactly. So, you know, it's it still a perspective issue. To, right, but you could, it would be really hard to do that in anything but first person. I think, okay, so I think this is a great segue. And the other thing I want to talk about with third person limited. So there's, I, I don't know if there's a term for it. So I always call it uh, super limited or limited. And the differentiation between those would be where your limited perspective changes the, your narrative voice to fit the characters to where you limit the type of vocabulary that you're using, limit it based off of what that character would say, where you phrase things in the way that that character is such as if it's a younger character, where the entire, where it's all written and flows well with how you write, but you limit how you're telling the story almost as if it's from a, it, like it is, it's literally from that character's perspective. You would never use a word that they wouldn't use. I mean, except in some instances where there's no other way to talk about something. But you, if something is like some really complex thing and this person just has like a nickname for it, and then that's what you use to describe it. If someone doesn't have a word for cell phone, you're just like, yeah, that that phone, that phone thing, or whatever term you come Face up with. thing. Um. Yeah. <clears throat> the thing that, hold, that, you know, daddy holds up to the side of his head. It's when he talks to those important people. And that's what the entire the the entire scene that you're writing from that perspective is not only from their perspective and very limited, but it's also within the mind and the di- and the language that they would use. And so that's it's something first you, you, person, but it's third. Essentially, it's, it's th- it is third person because you are still allowed to talk about things that they're in their surrounding that they would not be thinking about, but it's still their telling of the story. So yeah, it's very much like a third a first person in the way that like first person addressing the audience, but from their perspective. So it's in third person because you're the one that's writing about it in third person. So it's like a second person. Like yeah. Over, like over the shoulder. Yeah. It's like over the shoulder, like the second person where it's like, you know, it's, it's, so, uh, close it's, it's so limited third person to where, and I think you could, do, if you want to do something like that, where you're writing about a villain to where you want to get into their head and you want to jump between the benefits of first person with the internal monologue and the very, very limited perspective, but you still want to write from a third person limited perspective. There's ways to do that because third person limited is the most versatile form of writing. It kind of sounds like you're trying to talk about voice. I mean, at least that's what I end up frustrating myself over when I'm (laughs) worrying about voice is like, if I'm having different perspectives in the same story is I do want those chapters, they'll say to sound different. Like this does belong to that character. So their vocabulary and everything would change, the word choice, the prose, everything would change a little bit to match that character. Um, pretty much anyone that I've paid attention to that did that well, like, I, you already read them. Cinder yes, Spires no. was a wonderful example. Yes, of yes, exactly. No, yeah. 
I'm just I'm curious if either of you have ever tried writing something like that where you have a young, let's say eight to ten year old character, and then within the same scene, where if you choose to swap perspectives or the next chapter that's just continuing off of that same scene, have someone who is almost a polar opposite, like a very analytical intelligent more adult-like figure who uses very different terminology and then you have some overlap where they're describing the same scenes but you get to see how one person's very depressed about it and the other person's just like this is great and they both observe the same thing and now you get to see individual i mean that would be more of an internal monologue than like i think a third person perspective description especially for like how people are viewing it you know it would be more about them talking to themselves and then like in their thought processes versus actually like, um, you know, trying to, to write it. Uh, I don't know. That's just my thought. I don't think it detracts from the perspective though, because going back to, if you want to describe what's going on, if you want to describe a scene by show, don't tell with the example I was using of how someone feels about what's in their surroundings, how it, let's say they're comparing it to their past and, a while, like if, oh. well, let's say they're they're poor and it's a wealthy area and there's like a bunch of nice things going on and that's how you just choose to describe the scenery of the room rather than just saying there was nice stuff in the room you go to the character's reaction doing similar things like that where the scene just keeps on rolling the person never stops it's just their reactions is based on the the voice of the character that you're writing i, that, I think that was exactly what i was looking for mm. yeah i mean the that perspective and the voice of what you're mm. writing and to have two polar op that was something i tried it was like choose have two very opposite characters uh, who were their voices were very different, but it was, I started the scene with the little girl as they're walking through this facility and all the rules that she had to follow. Cause she was like, basically take your dad to work today. And then it was the dad who's the, who's from his perspective where the girl is not actually his daughter. He's her caretaker and she's an experiment. And so he feels really bad about it. And they're all just seeing the same stuff where it's like these flowers they created, but they all limit the amount of senses. They limit the amount of exposure, the amount of experience that these, experiments have because it'll break the experiment if they have too many variances of differences in experience mm-hmm. not going into the details of the story but that was the basis of it It was just them basically walking through the facility start out on the girl's perspective and went to the guy's perspective and it was just all one continuous scene is very short but the perspective i swapped it halfway in between to try something like that right and but that also brings up other questions of how many perspectives perspectives should you have <clears throat> Because, I, I mean, some people have said you should only have one per chapter. Like, you should never swap. So if, you, so if you have three characters, you know, one chapter can only be for one person, you know, from their perspective. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, if you can do it, you can do it. But I don't know. I've had different people tell me different things. I think that's the best rule to go by is just per chapter or if, if in the middle of a chapter, if a chapter is too short and you have a huge page break and you make it very obvious that it's, a different scene, a different character, have a very clear distinction and break between when you swap characters. But yeah, that's that's definitely the best rule to follow, in, in my opinion. Like, if anyone's going to agree upon rules of writing, if you're doing multi-perspective, each chapter should be its own person. You can have short chapters. There's very short chapters that exist. I know you guys talked about that on at least one episode. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as you're ready to move to a different character, just change the chapter. That's That's fine. Do what you need to do with that chapter and then move on. It's that kind of thing that actually weirded me out about third person omniscient like i got so used to like there's at least Uh oh oh she's gone we lost her (laughs) yeah uh, talking about uh chapter length a friend of mine was like 
he's just, he's really starting to get into some writing. I'm just like, he's like, how, how long should my chapters be? I'm like, well, how long do you need them to be? <laughs> like, my first chapter is like three sentences. Chapters are supposed to have some form of progression based off of the character. And this is, some, this is another cool thing with multi-perspective is that each person has their own internal like uh, character development and their plot and some they have their own like miniature rise and fall and like three act structure within the overall book structure i think we lost her entirely yep (laughs) and jump back on absolutely and you like i think cinder spire series is a good example it's something i read recently where you have four characters perspectives and each of them has their own goal like the author has a narrative purpose for all of them of their own rising action and development and growth and kind of climactic point within their own story mm-hmm. like all of those can happen simultaneously or one of them can reach their their climax and then join the rest of the story because they, they're not doing any uh, personal development from that point forward and all mm-hmm. these things can be happening while the overall plot of the book is going on at the same time and that's yeah, it, it gets really do. difficult because then you gotta like sort of flow the stories because it is really like an abcd story story structure Mm-hmm. Actually, if it's four, if it's four people, it's a A B C D E. Because you've got your A, which is the main plot, and then your four characters that are flowing together. And you want to make sure that the t- if you want to play off that tension, right? Especially if you have like a very emotional, intense moment where someone who is connecting with that character of yours is going to be really blown away by whatever this is the thing that you accomplished throughout that story. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that that point, that like crescendo of when that hits. And then you transition the next chapter that you don't lose that momentum. That's why you kind of want to line them up to kind of fall like, all right, well, this person just had this epic success. And you jump over to a scene where other people are struggling. And like you would expect to see either an epic failure or success happen there because you want to have this huge roller coaster go on towards, you know, when the climactic moments are supposed to happen, where you have that kind of tension of are they going to succeed? Are they not going to succeed? Like this should all be happening around the same time so yeah something you have to pay attention to is your timing when you have four individual peaks that you're trying to hit at separate right. points in the story unless all of them just kind of <laughs> climax at the same time <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's i mean ideally if you can see this a lot in a lot of like especially like superhero movies they reach their peak right before the final battle like they or have they, that character growth that lets them get through the challenge. Which, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three set, three X structure. That's yeah. Per, it's a great way to do superhero movies, <laughs> and they all do it pretty well. I think Marvel does. A pretty good I think job yeah, Marvel do does a pretty good job of it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's been interesting is I've got a character uh, in Andromeda's Love <laughs> that she's got the memories and personality of a. She's real young, like nineteen. Mm-hmm. She's also got like been implanted with these memories and like consciousness almost of a like older woman. So it's, so it's one sort of like going back and forth in perspectives where I'll, I'll swap the perspectives of the person in their head. So it's, it's not two different people. It's the same person that I'll, I'll kind of weave these two perspectives back and forth together. Caught me at a time when I was coughing, had to mute myself. <laughs> That's all right. That's that's interesting. I'm I haven't read Andromeda's Love. I know you're pretty. You at least have your what the first version done. Uh, not Rough quite. draft one. Um, close. It has to be close, right? Yeah. Well, that's what I was talking about earlier. We're probably about like fifteen to twenty thousand words away. <laughs> How exciting! Yeah. Well, we started when we started out. We were like, all right, we'll do like seventy-five thousand words. It's never and, enough. And we're like 
we're getting into the third act and we're at like 72,000. <laughs> so, perfect time to approach it. Perfect. Yeah. So I'm just like, well, I guess we're not going to hit our mark here. You know, you could just do one of those really unsatisfying things that are like, and here's the end, two pages and just the end, just credits. <laughs> well, but the thing is, what is, the hell was with that? Oh, right. I, know, I know what your original plan was for Andromeda's Love, where it was supposed to be sort of bitter. Right, but there's this entire, we've been building up this final thing for a long time now, and now we got to pay it off, or it's just not going to work. Like, it's, well, we've been building up this sort of hyperspace jump to this unknown location for 70,000 words, pretty much. And now it's time to do it. Are you still going with a similar ending like what we were discussing originally? Uh, I, I think so. I anything on here. I was just yeah, kidding. yeah, I think so. But uh, but that that is interesting because we do swap between four different characters in the story for their perspective. So each chapter is from one of the main four slash five uh, perspectives. And each of them have, for the most part, have had their sort of storyline. Now, um, there's a spectrum of sequential versus parallel where you get what I'm talking about time frame Mm -hmm. where the moment that one chapter ends, you assume that the other chapter begins based off of chronologically where you're writing it, even though your character jumping is like this character handled, uh, you know, between five o'clock and six o'clock. And then right at six o'clock when they swap who the perspective is, they pick up right from there. There's no overlap. That's, that's what we do is like, okay. Yeah. yeah. If there is, I mean, may not be like, yeah, there's there's definitely no overlap. It may be like five fifty five, like they're picking up what the last person was saying and then moving into their scene. Or I mean, I, or, or they or there's a there's a gap, but it's all right. There's no overlap. Yeah, there, yeah, there, 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 or it goes chronological further. order. That's uh, for sure. <clears throat> that's that, something. Good. That's something else. That I think that's uh, you know one of the advantages of multi perspective is you can do overlap. To I think we just talked about this. I talked about doing it sequentially, where you show observing two different scenes but you can also do overlap where you tell a chapter through one person's eyes and then you tell the chapter through the other person's eyes and you jump like halfway through where that other person's chapter was and you you finish out the how they had just finished that scene but from the other person's perspective Mm -hmm. and sometimes that can be really really telling and you can there is cool things that you can do with it well it's very uh was it uh rashman is that the name of the movie i think i'm thinking of where they're trying to figure out what happened in this court case. And so they, they have like five witnesses and they all, they're all telling a different tale of the same story. Mm-hmm. And so they keep going back to a different point. It's not exactly the right. same starting point to finish mm-hmm. each time. You're not watching five of the same stories. They all jump in at a different point and they all terminate at a different point, probably right. in a different location too, because they're different people. But that, that is something that's cool that you can do with third person or with limited or multi-perspective. Well, and that's something if you did it like that, uh, you could, if you did it right, you could pick up on, the story would pick up when something important or interesting happened to the character. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, okay, this X thing X happened and it caught their attention. So they, they turn to it and that's when their story picks up. So all the stuff that may have been super important to character A, like the first 20 minutes of it is not important to character B. And so if you could do that where you, where everything was, you know, built off of a trigger, it could be a very interesting way to tell a story. I know uh, here, I'm going to talk about Wheel of Time since our, uh, the other guest is not here, or the, the other, other host is not here person. that talks about it. Um, so Wheel of Time, that actually happens a few times. Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson both did it. 
And not only did they not split it up into multiple chapters, they did multiple perspective within the same chapter, but it was also with overlap where it was when this climactic or very important scene happened, such as when the uh, male side of the source was cured, which I know was talked about like maybe two episodes ago, when this, when the, the tainted side of the magic, which makes people go crazy was the driving motivation behind like nine books of why all this was happening was cured and led up to the final battle they jump between, I think, like seven perspectives. It's like, where was this person when it happened and how did they feel about it? Where was this person when it happened? How did they feel about it? And it jumped around and there was like two paragraphs, page break, two paragraphs, page break, three sentences, page break. If they wanted to make sure that you saw how everyone felt about it before moving on past that scene because it was such an impactful, triumphant 10,000 page lead up to this point. <laughs> and, you know, they still have 4,000 pages to go. So... <laughs> In that, in that, even in the final battle that happens in book 14 that Bram Sanderson wrote, he continued that. He did that again for, I think, in two of the books, at least in the final book. The way they wrapped it up when everything was fixed was they were jumping in between scenes, or he jumped between scenes that were happening, and he would retell that scene, but from a different perspective. He'd do that two or three times and then progress. Then the timeline would continue to progress. That just feels like would cheating. Go, like you get all this extra page count because <laughs> you're doing the same scene from a different perspective. But it's so, I think, I, I don't know, like I said, if you do it well, you do it right. And Ooh. I think with the, uh, with the scene that was going on there, that there were so many characters, like, th- like Wheel of Time has like 18 protagonists and like, 13 antagonists and all of them are very developed and I there's a lot of antagonists I really cared what happens with them because of not just because they were like a sympathetic villain but because their motivation was interesting and I wanted to see are they going to swap sides like they have a lot of these redeeming qualities why did they still not serve the good like so it's it's, if people are invested in certain characters I think you're doing it justice to develop a scene by rewarding people's investment in those characters to see how each right. of them react, especially mm-hmm. if it deals with them, because there's certain things where it's, it's a this triumphant moment, but it only applies to three people. Now you may not particularly care for this character because you think they're bland, but maybe you care about this other character. So if you get to see all three of them, I don't, it was short. It wasn't intrusive. It didn't feel like it interrupted the flow or pacing. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time, like waiting <laughs> to see what would happen. So nice. like it was pulled off well, but that's not something I don't think I've seen anywhere else except for the wheel of time doing right. that overlap third person and like he does some third person omniscient stuff most most of the time it's third person limited but he does some like omniscient stuff that it's tossed in here and there but he has like four like 40 perspectives that he jumps between throughout like the 14 books and it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's too much because you still know who the core characters are yeah that's just too much i don't know if i can do that like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I i have these big worlds but limited scope and that's Kind of how um, like a Dresd, like Dresden works is, you know, by the time, you know, what's the most recent book? Uh, Skin Game. By the time the kid came out, like that was a really expansive, it's an expansive universe. It covered phase and vampire, all this crap. Uh, but it's very limited around Dresden and what's going on with him. And so, yeah. So it's like not too big of a pill to swallow at any given time, even if it's, yeah. Right. For what it is. And that's, mm. I think that's a great approach to a book. I think that targets a certain audience who likes to see that progression, especially since, like we discussed, it's entirely from his perspective the whole time, too. Mm. And there's a lot of stuff that he knows that he doesn't share at any given time just because he knows all this background information. The story is not written where he's just exposition, exposition, exposition right. of like what all the implications are. You just kind of get to see it as it comes along. And unless it's relevant for the story, he never brings it up. Even if you're like, 
I know you know more. Please tell me just a little bit. Like you've been involved in all this stuff. You know about this huge world, like especially me. I'm in like book two. So I'm like, well, I, there has to be more. Like you <laughs> have alluded to the conversation you had with that person and the smirk on your face that you knew more and I want to know more. So like that keeps me reading, even if within the context of the story, everything that's important will eventually be addressed. It just could be several books later. Right. Uh, yeah, that's something that Butcher does well is he'll pay something off like seven books later. That The first time I'd ever seen that was I was reading Robert Jordan in The Wheel of Time, something that came up in like book two and three. I was like, he was planning this the whole time. And you know that he was because of the way that the structure of it is done and the way right. that it all, the way it's all executed. You're like, how many little seeds has he planted throughout like the first <laughs> four books that are going to show up for the, uh, the remaining 10? So, and you get to see it and it's very impressive. And that's something it's like, I, I don't know how someone could have that sort of scope to write something like that. Like that's such a huge undertaking. There's very few authors who do it and pull it off. Well. One thing, um, that I've been thinking about recently in terms of perspective is the antagonist perspective. Cause a lot of times the big bad is just a big bad, you know, they're evil because they're evil, et cetera. But, and that's so cliche. And I hate that. Cause none of my uh, antagonists are like that. I spend a lot of time on my antagonist personally. Right. But like, um, in, in Fandy War, one of the cool things about that movie, if you watch it, it's essentially an origin story for Thanos. He gets, all of his motivations explained. He gets why he's doing it, why things are important, et cetera, et cetera. How he thinks it out and all that. Right. So, and you know, it's, it's not just a, this person believes they're right. This person believes they're right because of this, this, and this. And it really has created a much, I mean, I think the best villain in the Marvel universe so far, but it, so it's, you know, don't McGuff, I guess, you know, even if it's a limited perspective you know so to speak you know don't mcguffinize your antagonist unless you just need to or that's just kind of the kind of how the story is and sometimes antagonists are red herrings where the lesson that you're trying to teach like the thematic point of the entire narrative the entire narrative the entire story is more important than just that bad guy being stopped from whatever limited thing he was trying to do and then, then, you know, maybe you don't necessarily need to develop an antagonist unless it's going to be one of those, well, the antagonist realized he was wrong and now he's trying to undo it, like at the end, something like that. One, right. I, don't, I, don't well, think that's, I don't think that's just for children's books. I think there are a lot of redeemable villains who could turn. I just don't, I think that makes bad for dramatic pose, prose because people like to see people die in the end. Right. <laughs> well, it's also, you know, you also, there's also the, the, the ticking clock antagonist, right? Where there, yeah, there are people that get in the way and if they're hurdles, you don't really need as much of a, a reason to do it, you know, because it's, they are their cops or they're um, evil faction or whatever, you know, it's different than just going in and saying, okay, you know, you need this whole thing because the actual bad guy is time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, oh, you, you see a lot of that with like, a, let's say an asteroid's about to crash, like right. Armageddon, uh, right? Disaster movies is, is a yeah, big yeah. one where it's, that's, that's all it's using is time as a perspective because time is, here's this deadline. We need to figure out whatever we need to figure out. These characters need to grow and overcome whatever struggles they need to overcome before yeah. this very, very intrinsic timer where we all get obliterated. Right. And, and so like it sometimes it feels a little overused because it, it does create artificial tension or it can, especially if it's like, okay, why, if, if you're going to use timers, you've got to like, 
okay, you got to be specific as to why this took so long. Because if they do something for a long time that's stupid, the readers are going to get pissed off. Exactly, yeah. Uh, mishandling timers is just as infuriating as having a artificial timer with no justification. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, well, oh, we need to get down and we need to get rescue this person and it needs to happen right now. It's like they end up throwing away half their people. Two characters end up dying and you're like, why didn't you just... It was a hostage situation. Like, why don't you like talk it out? Like, was there a different way to approach this? Right. It's like you create all this attention of these people dying and all this drama. And you're like, there had to have been a better way to do that. Why were you in such a rush? Why did this character make this uncharacteristic call to do this course of action? And that's when timers can really bite you where it's like, all right, this feels forced with forced actions based off of a forced plot. And then everything just starts to kind of come apart, mm. come apart because the characters become kind of unbelievable. It's the same thing as like, you know, having a baby for the sake and then characters interacting a, a different way around having a baby. Right. Oh, Where it's like, don't you're not get me started on at the child for child's sake, just to cause strife. Oh my and God. Then the character acting out of character. That's the same thing that happens with any timer. Cause you know, it's you're, you have some form of stress that's introduced some form of tension, some form of conflict, and then characters mishandle that conflict in a way that's out of character. If you have a person mishandle conflicts because that is their character, that's very different than having someone handle something out of character and then ruining everything. It's like, well, you never would have done that. Why did you do it this time? Right. It's just like the stubborn person did something that a stubborn person would do and that caused the conflict that can be a little ham handed at times, but at least it doesn't break the character immersion. It's like, all right, well they literally went to the worst person they possibly could have to talk about peace after you just killed his family. Right. And it's, it's a scenario where it's like, you know, it's going to go poorly way before it happens. So it doesn't feel as forced except for the fact that you mm -hmm. made them approach that character because. Right. And this happen. would be another good way to like do perspective. <laughs> perspective is if someone is going to act out of character there's got to be you know, from their perspective there's got to be explanation as to why yes they had to have this is they if you think of how humans or people are a sum of their experiences and they make decisions like logical decisions based off of their experiences and if they act a certain way and they're of a certain age then they're going to be more consistent over time and if you have something that's way out of left field or right field that's way off their spectrum of experiences where it's so intense that they have no reference level to fall back on and they're going to act out of something. Let's say they act just out of emotion and they do what they felt was right at the time and that would choose that turned out to be wrong. That needs to be the focus of your character development from that point is them rectifying that decision or justifying that decision that they made at that time or at least a lot of internal strife that them dealing with, I shouldn't have done that. They need to recognize that they shouldn't have done that. It shouldn't just be, oh, well, that was the decision I made at the time. And then you just roll with it. It's like, oh, we ran into all these problems. That right. needs to be the focus. You can do... Unless a, it's in their character to just like blow shit off. Yeah. If, but if you have a consistent character where a baby is born and the person decides to do all these irrational things because someone's like, hey, this is your kid now, and they do something irrational they should be beat up they should be beating themselves up over why they were irrational if they if they eventually recognize the fact that and if they never recognize it it's like well then you're out of character and you don't even know why you're just way too caught up you're way too lost in the situation i don't think that's a realistic adult at least not any character i'd want to <laughs> <laughs> right i mean that's that has ruined so many things for me like the no, I, I, I listen to every episode the, <laughs> the fucking 
like surprise you got a girl pregnant 10 years ago here's a child because people they just it's irrational for rational sake and it just it's just fucking hate. <laughs> and just that's like, the tangent i've heard before huh. well so to get, to get back on perspective if you're doing limited perspective yeah i think a chapter per person unless you're trying to do something very special and very epic basically if you're doing anything that breaks the rules do it sparingly and do it intentionally don't accidentally do it so same thing with like repetition if you're going to break up if you're going to use repetition in a sentence and it's going to ruin your whole story structure or your whole uh, paragraph structure by doing the exact same sentence structure three times in a row you better be doing it intentionally don't accidentally let me catch you using the exact same noun exact same verb with a comma at the same place and doing the exact same sentence structure three times don't start three sentences with they unless you meant to right <laughs> just you know and that's that kind of falls with character perspective too where if you're going to use a character, they need to be being used for the narrative purpose that you decided for them to be used for to where you decided they were the best character to use for that scene because either you wanted to show how much, how little they knew or you wanted to show how much they knew and you wanted to show some stuff that was going on or whatever your purpose you come up with is and then stick to that perspective. I think one per chapter, I think is the best advice you can give anyone who's starting a book like hey caution danger if you choose to go out of any any writing rule you're going to be critiqued and criticized for it if you don't do it well you're at least going to be critiqued every single time like oh you know they did this no one ever does that and hey at least they pulled it off correctly (laughs) (laughs) right right and i think a, a good tip for that is like write down the perspectives or maybe even write down unique examples for each perspective because uh, that's something um, I did a bit with in Drama's Love. Because what happened is, so we got four characters, and I'm co-writing that with a friend of mine. And we each took two of them and built them separately. Um, and so we built them all. And so it's like playing with someone else's toys. But we, but in doing that, we had to create such specific examples of how these people act that you can just go back and reference, oh, this is what this person would do. Or this is this person's mindset. So we have these extra notes and stuff that really help us decide what this character is. And I think that's a, a good thing to do, even if it's just two people. Just take take a thousand words and write down stuff about each character and how they're going to react. That's actually something that uh, Jim Butcher talked about when he first wrote the Dresden series, when he was talking with his English professor. If you ever sat in any of his lectures, that was um, he talks about how creating a quick format of your character and like kind of getting nailing down the details of your character before you start using them in a writing is extremely helpful as kind of a reference where you can always kind of read that quick little thousand word blurb let's say it's just two pages before you start writing from that perspective because you write a whole chapter you're gonna be invested in that chapter for a while just to kind of quickly refresh you of you know what that what the basis of that character is and then as things happen throughout the story just keep adding little blurbs onto there to remind you this is how they were, and these are the few things that have changed them. Just kind of puts you in that mindset of, I'm writing this character. And if someone else wants to tack on, like as if, especially if you're doing a co-op thing, I do a lot of co-op writing because that's where I started with my writing for whatever reason. And that's we almost never touch each other's characters. If it's a multi-perspective, multiple-character writing format with, let's say it's two people or three people, I usually just do two people then we almost never touch each other's characters. And if we intend to have our other, other characters do stuff or act, we always like kind of, hey, is, would this person act this way if we're not confident? But once you've been writing with each other for a while and you kind of have that baseline, then yeah, we, I mean, even the same terminology, we play, we play with the other kids' toys. Right. <laughs> it's, it's very much how that co-op writing kind of works. 
but it's important to respect that character and not develop someone else's character for them unless you know what you're doing. Yeah. I, I figure I figure after you know seventy thousand words you you have a pretty damn well, good the thing with having, you're doing like, at that point. The thing with having the outline is depending on how you know we break up chapters and story arcs and stuff, you like there's certain characters I may not write in for like three months. So I'm like, oh crap, I need to do I need it from this person's perspective. So I gotta go back, reread, you know, get comfortable with them again because I've been writing and you know, character A and B's stories for you know three months now or whatever. So that's one that's another good reason to do it. And yeah, you know, yeah, especially if you're gonna spend time away from a character. It's 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 extremely helpful for sure. Yeah. Well, is, uh, where's Alex based out of? Just curious. Is it uh, you? Like, what do you think is the issue with the internet? <laughs> There's no telling. Uh, well, I mean, I think we've hit just about everything. We're getting about our time. So uh, thanks for coming out. Sorry, Director Alex fans, that something happened and she's gone. But uh, yeah, uh, check us out, Broken Jars at XYZ, patreon.com forward slash Broken Jars. We have all sorts of reward tiers and do all sorts of cool stuff. Hang out with us on Discord. Um, I am at Jacob Ingles on Twitter. Uh, Tyler, do you, you want to plug anything? Or are you good? I don't have anything to plug except for plugging your guys' Discord channel. I would like to get more involved with the community if any of you guys are writers and want to have people to look at stuff and like develop kind of a community of writing and kind of review each other's stuff, talk about some of the subjects, not just talk about the podcast, but you know, actually form a writing community. So yeah, I invite you all to come out. It's, it's a good time. These are good people. <laughs> all right. Well, y'all have a good one. See you next time.